I were going to put a title on this, I'd probably call it, Can I Get You a Drink? Um, and you'll kind of understand that a little bit later, probably. But uh, we're in John chapter 7, verses 25 through the end of the chapter. Um, I realized when I printed everything out that I've gotten much older and that I should have probably brought my uh, cheater glasses. So on the way out the door, Dan threw me his, and I, I tried his, and I realized that his face is much smaller than mine and that he's not nearly as blind as I am. So I, either that or he's more blind. I don't know. I have to kind of get down to here to read it. So um, can I please have the pretty green ones? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. These will be okay. I think I would look way too cool with those, and you know I'm not. So, um, so we're in John chapter 7. But before we do that, let's, let's go back to why we're doing this series of sermons, right? This series of sermons in the book of John, you guys remember what the, the, the key verse in the book of John is? Anybody remember? Anyone? Anyone? John chapter 20, verse 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole concept of what we're trying to do here is figure out when we believe in Jesus, what does life look like when we live life in his name? Because it really should be different, right? I mean, it shouldn't be just like everybody else. It shouldn't be like what, what, what it was before. There should be something different about us when we live life in his name. So today I want to kind of process that, and I'll give you five different points. You've got some fill-in-the-blank things, and then we'll come back. I'm going to read the whole passage, then we'll come back and go from there. All right? So ready, set, go. Chapter 7, verse 25 and following. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly that they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Pause. Okay, so every time you read the word Christ in this passage of Scripture, would you please hear the word Messiah? I think this is a little bit unfortunate that it's kind of translated as the Christ because I don't think it has the same, I mean, like the, the language really means the anointed one, the called out one, the sent one, the Messiah. So when you hear Christ, hear Messiah, okay? I think some people kind of think Christ is Jesus' last name, and that's not the way this works, okay? So um, do, do the authorities really know that this is the Christ, the Messiah? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Messiah appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. See there, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. You'll hear that several times in this passage. Because his hour had not yet come, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ, the Messiah, appears, will he do more signs than this, has, this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I will, I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach to the Greeks? Uh, what does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was, had, was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, Messiah. But some said, is the Messiah to come from the Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ, Messiah, comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one has ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, uh, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Father, I pray that you take this word and that you would challenge us with it and that you would change us by it and that we would be more um, uh, convinced and committed to living life in your name as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's break it down a little bit now. First thing on your bulletin, you've got a little fill in the blanks. The first one is that eternal and abundant life begins with us being convinced of who he is and yielding to his authority. So chapter 7 and chapter 8 are really just a constant debate between all kinds of different people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, 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 the religious leaders, the people that are in the crowds, all these different people trying to figure out who is this Jesus after all. And that's what this, these two chapters kind of revolve around is this whole, this whole battle. And, and the truth of it is that that is always going to be the case. When you introduce Jesus in this day and age, in this world, in any day and age, there are always going to be people who are going to debate, is he really who he says he is? And even in the church, we're going to debate on, okay, if he says he's this, what does that mean to my life? Because it doesn't mean this. Jesus is who he says he is, and when we are convinced of it, it will change the way we live. It's got to. It's got to change the way we live. Um, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man who they seek to kill? We talked about that last week. This is at the feast of the, the festival of Abus or tabernacles or uh, all kinds of stuff. And it was really kind of celebrating, kind of like what we're doing tomorrow night, celebrating God's abundance in the life and his taking care of people. And specifically, it was a festival that celebrated God's protecting them and taking care of the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness, okay? So that's what this is. And, and Jesus was there, and, and the people had been talking about how you know, the, the, the muttering about Jesus, and they were talking about people, the Jews wanting to kill him and all this stuff. And so the disciples were saying, hey, you should go on up to this next place. And Jesus said, you know what, I, I'm going to stay here because they want to kill me up there, and I'm not really sure that that's, you know, I don't think we need to go there. So he's kind of incognito here at the Festival of Booths, kind of just milling around, just doing his own thing. It's not my time yet. I'm not ready to go up there. It wasn't so that he was worried about that. He just wasn't his time to reveal that he was, in fact, the Messiah. So what's he do? He kind of stays in his not Jesus costume, and he walks around, and he kind of mingles with people, and then he shows up at the, where? Temple, right? He shows up at the temple, and he starts teaching, and people are like, wow, this guy really knows what he talks about, but I don't think he's ever been to rabbi school, so how does he know so much, right? 
and he talked about whose authority he was teaching with and all that kind of stuff. So he's wandering around, and he shows up at the temple, and, and people couldn't figure out where he was and all that kind of stuff. That, that seems to always be the place. When Jesus uh, goes missing, you, can always, you should always look for him in the temple, right? said in the first verse, that's where we ought to, I wish we could all have that same mentality with our kids. If our kids go missing, we just think, oh, I need to go check at church. They're probably at the church, you know. That's probably not where we're going to look for our kids. I told them, you know, in our place, we don't have to worry about that. We just go to her room. She's always in her room. So we just check her out there. So, um, but Jesus was always, when, when, when he was 12 and his parents took off without him and they left him, they're like, you got Jesus? No, I don't have Jesus. You got Jesus? Where is he? Where was he? In the temple, right? So they found him. And what did he say? Did you not know I'd be about my father's business? So it's kind of where Jesus always shows up when, when he kind of goes missing. And here, and here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that authorities really know that this is the Messiah? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. See, here's the deal. One of, the, one of the reasons people were so confused is because they said, I want to kill this guy, I want to kill this guy, and then he, starts show, he shows up and he starts teaching in the temple, and the people that are saying they want to kill him, they're not touching him. It says they didn't lay a hand on him. And so it made the rest of the people that were not in charge, that were not trying to kill him, say, why aren't they doing anything about it? I mean, clearly, this is, I'm pretty sure that's the guy that they're looking for, but he came right into their temple and started teaching, and they're not doing anything about it. Why not? And so they're thinking, do they really know that this guy really is the Messiah and that's why they're not touching him? And then they, then they, come, then they start reasoning through things, and they, they're so confused. They start reasoning, but you know what? It can't be because we know Jesus. That's Mary and Joseph's boy. And it says, you know, way back in Malachi that he's gonna, the, the Messiah is going to come suddenly, and we won't know anything about him, and, and we know who that guy is. That's just, that's just a carpenter's kid. That can't be the Messiah, right? So they're so confused, and they're debating back and forth, but why aren't they, why aren't they doing anything about it? Jesus proclaimed, and he taught, as he taught in the, in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I've not come of my own accord. He who has sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, where the Christ or Messiah appears, will he do more signs than this guy? So there are some translations that actually take that portion where Jesus says, you know me and you know where I come from, and they put question marks in it. Uh, as if it's to say, do you really know me? Do you really know where I come from? Because you think I'm from Nazareth and Galilee, and then I'm marrying Joseph's kid, but you don't really know that I come from heaven, and the Father is my Father, and, you know, they missed the whole virgin birth thing. But I don't think that the original text actually supports a question mark there. It's not. He's just saying, you know me. You know where I come from. Yes, you know that I'm Jesus. You know I'm from Nazareth. You know I belong to Mary and Joseph. You know all these things about me, but you don't know what you don't know. That's kind of what I'm hearing him say. You don't know what you don't know because there's more to this story. And with Jesus, there's always more to this story. So eternal life begins with being convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, but abundant life 
hinges on how convinced you are that he really is, who, that he is the prince of peace, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You have to be convinced that he is all these things that he says he is in Scripture, and that will change everything. About, you know, we, earlier in the, in the first service, there was some conversation about anxiety and depression and all these kind of things and how, you know, there were some people that we were praying for because somebody had, had seen some um, loss of life in their family. It was, it was because somebody had taken their life who had previously professed Christ. And, and it was just one of those things where, you know, Christians are not above being anxious or depressed, even though we, we spent our whole time Wednesday night in our, in our community group talking about this. Everybody's anxious right now. It's an anxious time of, of, the, of the year. In fact, depression runs higher in the holiday season than it does any other time of the year. And when you get closer to the end of the year, all your teacher friends are pulling their hair out. All the people at work are getting crazy because people are trying to get things done before the end of the year and before the, the year closes out and all this kind of stuff. Everybody gets crazy. So we took, a, we took a breath Wednesday night, and we just went through 20 or 30 scriptures that just says, you know what? Cast all your cares on me, for I, will, I care for you. You know, Lean not on your own understanding, but trust me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, all yours. I'll make your path straight. We just, we just read all these scriptures that said, listen, if you're really convinced of who Jesus is, and here's the kicker, if you're really willing to turn over everything to him and relinquish control of your own mess to him and say, listen, I know I'm not in control of this world, so I'm just going to let you be in charge, and I'm going to do my best to be faithful in that moment. I believe that's the difference between eternal and abundant life. I mean, he's promised us to give us a peace that passes understanding. I think sometimes people look at me like I am absolutely crazy, and most people would be right in that assessment. But there are certain things that, uh, you know, that I think would really bother other people that I just, I'm like, you know, if I can't, if I can't, like if I can't myself just completely change the situation, I think I'm just going to sit back and let God get His glory, and I'll just be faithful in the moment. But we're really bad at relinquishing control of our own lives, aren't we? Would anybody say Amen? Um, and I think that's the the root of our anxiety and our depression and all that kind of stuff is we have a really hard time not being able to control our own destinies. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So he's at the Feast of the Booths. People heard all about this. Jesus going in the temple preaching. Um, Jesus revealed himself as Messiah. You do know me, but there's more to the story. Uh, so here's the deal. If and when we are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is God and realize that he has all the power and all the authority of God and we do not, and even though he had all that power and all that authority, he laid it all down and surrendered it to be arrested, humiliated, crucified, that we could have a, a chance. What more do we need? Like, why would we not connect ourselves to him and turn it over to him, knowing that he has the power and the authority to take care of all that? Why would we not? And what have you got to lose? And it says here, many believed. And I will just tell you this, if you can find something or someone who offers more and has the ability to control the tides and uh, speak and the winds and the waves obey, if you can find somebody with that kind of power, I would follow them. 
Otherwise, I'd really kind of trust Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is Messiah? Most of us do. The bigger question is, are you willing to surrender the authority of your own life over to him? That's the kicker. So second thing, when we're confused, you can be assured that he wants to provide answers. So I I bring this up because I think there's a whole lot of people in our world that are confused. It says, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. Um, You will seek me, and you will not find me. Does that sound weird to you? coming from Jesus. I mean, the, the scripture in the Old Testament, doesn't it say, you will search for me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart? Doesn't it say that? And he's telling the religious leaders, you can look for me, but you're not going to find me. Because where I'm going, you can't go. Catch the irony in that, please. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and saying, I'm going to heaven and you can't come. Right? That's what he said, right? Because they did not believe that he was the Messiah. And if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and turn your life over to him, can you go to heaven? Can you have eternal abundant life? You might have good days, but you're never going to have abundant life until you relinquish that and follow him. And he's saying to the religious leaders of the day, I'm going someplace, you can't come, you will not find me there. And I think this if they understood, if they really did understand that he was the Messiah, and he's telling them that, that would really make them mad, right? Because no religious leader likes to give up control of his church or whatever. You know, they like to be in control. That's one of the things about highly effective pastors is they, they do like to be in control. The better pastors are the ones that are completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, but the, the confusion part these religious leaders, they did not understand what he was talking about. I, I, don't, I don't think that they took as an offensive as more they did like, where does he think he's going to go that we can't find him? I mean, does he not know how powerful we are? We have, we have people everywhere. We, we will find him. What's he going to go out and preach to the Greeks? Okay, so we'll still find him, and we can go there if we want to. I don't really want to, but he can, where's he going to go? They were so confused. I mean, you see it all through this passage. They, even, even the confusion, with, like the Jews missed this. The people who Jesus was, his, he was a Jewish guy who came to save the Jews, and the Jews rejected him, and partially because they just didn't understand. They took passages of Scripture, and they didn't understand. They were confused. In Malachi, where it says he's going to come suddenly, they thought that meant, well, we'll know nothing about him. Like, he's going to poof, appear, and he's going to be the Messiah, and he's going to come and be the religious leader, or he's going to be something, you know... Uh, the, the military leader or whatever. And they just missed it. They didn't understand. They said, well, we know that the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. Hello? Did Jesus come from the line of David? On his mom's side? On his dad's side? On both sides. And they completely missed that. Oh, but he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus comes from Galilee of Nazareth. Hello, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. How did they miss all this? They had the records. They were confused because they were lazy and didn't check the facts. And I think sometimes we're confused about God's Word and how it applies to our lives because we're lazy and we won't read it 
and we won't study it. And I really believe that 99.85% of everything you need to know about how to live life in his name, he wrote down for us. The other point zero, whatever, whatever I just left on the table, 15, 100, 15 of one, maybe whatever. Whatever I left on the table, if you start with the book and then find people who are in your faith community who are living that way and have an understanding of what, and go to them and talk and seek other things and, and read a book, and do, you know, but we're so lazy. We don't like, I'm, I'm lazy. Listen, I went to seminary and you know, on Monday they say, read this chapter and this chapter, which is about 400 pages. I don't know why people in theology have to write everything like that long. But so by the time I got done with seminary, I never wanted to see another book again. I'm super lazy. I don't like to read at all. Laura will tell you, I hardly ever pick up a book. Dan will give me a book, and I'm like, okay, okay, you know. And I'll, I'll read it because he makes me. Um, but I'm lazy. But guys, if you want to be confused, Jesus, God doesn't want us to be confused about stuff. He's given us all the answers we need, but we need to, we need to study. That was, the, that was the short version of all that. Um, don't be confused and miss out on the things that God has for you. Third thing, and this is where I, I, love, I love this one. We need to com- be completely satisfied with, with our relationship with him alone. Then our other relationships can be what he intends. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom uh, those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So at this festival that they were going to, it was about an eight-day festival, and one of the things that happened and developed in this actual uh, festival where they celebrated what God did for them in the wilderness was that they would have a group of priests up doing sacrifices, a group of priests that would carry these 25-foot palm branches, and a group of priests, uh, one, one guy that would carry a big golden pitcher, and another guy that would carry a pitcher of wine. And they would, every day during the feast, they would go down to the pool of Siloam, and they'd dip that thing down into the pool and get water, and then they would, it was a big procession. The people would follow the guy with the pitcher with the big palm branches, and they'd follow him and all this stuff, and then they'd get up here, and then when they found their little booth, that they, they'd actually make a little, like a little structure with the palm branches, and they would pour the water over the altar where they were doing, one end where the horns were of all the animals. They would pour the water on the altar uh, to say, hey, look, this is what satisfies and quenches the fire in us. You know, that's kind of what the whole picture of it was. This is the last day of the feast. Jesus stands up and says, hey, listen, if you're thirsty and you you, you, you need a quenching of your thirst, I'm your guy. There's a Holy Spirit coming that will give you everything that you need. Folks, we are a thirsty people. Before I go any further, I just, I just, I just need to stop. I saw Billy back there, and, or Bill, and uh, I wanted to say, I, I don't know about you, but I just so love all the folks that, that lead worship here. And I, I, I got to be honest, I'm a little biased because coming from where I come from, I really like it when Billy sing, Bill sings. I call him Billy all the time. Bill sings, and because Bill kind of reminds me of two of my favorite people, musical recording artists, and I, I love Mac Powell, Third Day. Do you guys remember Mac Powell, Third Day? And I love Jeremy Camp. I think, I think Bill's like got that southern rock vibe like Mac Powell, and he's got that passion and, 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 uh, of, of Jeremy Camp, and I love when he sings, and, and I told him in the first service, it's even better 
when Mel's up here with him. So I'm excited for when she gets back up here singing because, I mean, he's great by himself. But when you put her next to oh, gosh, I love it. But I got to tell you, Bill's got a little skeleton in his musical closet. And a lot of us do, but he's got one, and, and I don't know. Um, throw that up there. So that's Bill Biter um, and his uh, previously recorded rap album, album called Rap Album called Eulogy Reborn. You can find it on, um, on iTunes, I think, and stuff like that. So you can download that and hear uh, Bill's Rap Album. album. Why well, can't I say the word album today? Uh, Bill's Rap Album, uh, when he was first uh, turned his life over to Christ, and uh, it's pretty, pretty impressive. The lyrics in there are strong. I, I'm so old and, and confused that it's hard for me to sometimes understand rap music. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm that guy, the get-off-my-lawn guy, but it's, it's a fantastic thing. Uh, I'm really not the get-off-my-lawn guy. Everybody walks through my lawn to get to the store behind me. Um, but anyway, wow, that was random. I'm sorry. Whew. Bring it back in. But Bill has, album, uh, has uh, skeletons in his closet. So do I, uh, unfortunately. But the good news is there will be no pictures of the skeleton in my closet because I'm that old. And there is no record of the music that we did because it was on cassette and only the Janices have a cassette player left. So um, there are no cassettes that are available for the group that I sang in called Cross Examination, which was a southern gospel group of five guys. And we, we sang a lot of Gaither vocal band covers. But the very first song that we ever sang in church, and then we took it on the road and sang it at the, uh, at the bookstore downtown for a competition was a song by the Gaither vocal band called Satisfied. Anybody ever heard the Gaither vocal band? Ever heard the song Satisfied? Well, satisfied. Well, satisfied. Satisfied. Here's the lyrics, okay? Get, get Dan's glasses out. Hold on. They're really small on my paper. Well, satisfied with Jesus. Satisfied with Jesus. Said he would be my comfort. Said he would be my guide. Well, well, I looked at my hands, and they looked new. I looked at my feet, and they did too. Ever since that wonderful day, my soul's been satisfied. Well, the Lord moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his feet on every step, and then he rides on every storm. Well, he fixed my feet for running, boys, and then my eyes, he opened up wide. He fixed my tongue so I could say, praise God, I'm satisfied. Then the next, the, the kind of the bridge part says, well, it was way down yonder in the valley, boys. I was wandering all alone. And it was there I met my Jesus. You know, he claimed me for his own. And then he put his arms all around me there, and then he drew me up to his side. And then it swells real big as, well, yes, I'm satisfied. And it goes on. It's pretty, pretty fun. Um, oh, no. It's really not much without all the harmony. And, and the guy that's sang next to me, he's with Jesus now, so we can't bring the group back together. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. But the truth of it is, to be completely satisfied with our relationship with Jesus and that relationship alone is a difference between eternal and abundant life. Every, doing what I do now, every house I go into, you know what the first thing that people ask me? Not, do you want to see the floor or whatever? You know what they ask me? Can I get you a drink? The assumption in every place I go is that I'm thirsty. 
And even if I'm not, they think it's going to make me more comfortable to put a drink in my hand. If you have an alcohol problem, that's a problem, right? But they don't usually offer me alcohol. On several occasions, it has been offered. Um, in this world, the assumption is we are thirsty. And I think usually when you assume that has bad problems, but in this case, I think they're right. We are a thirsty, thirsty people. We long for power. We thirst for fame. We thirst for relationship. We thirst for so many different things. But the truth of it is, if you're completely satisfied with Jesus, all those things become secondary, and they're just means to an end. Um, Lauren and I went to Baylor University, and um, they always had a thing called Welcome Week, where they took all the freshmen, they put them in little, men, they called them MenCon groups, mini-conference groups, and taught them about what life in college was going to be like, and they gave us this armed us with this big green notebook filled with all kinds of pertinent information. One of them was a letter from Jesus. I said, well, that's important. If Jesus is going to write me a letter, put it in the book. Although they didn't put the whole letter in the book, but this was actually a, kind of a written thing, uh, kind of assuming that Jesus would say it. But the whole gist of it was, you know, that a lot of you are probably coming here looking for Mr. or Mrs. And um, down there, the ladies, there was about three girls to every guy, so it was a lot of work for them. For us, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, there was three girls for every guy, so, you know, fortunately, I got the right one. Um, so, it was, um, it was a really, really thing, but a big deal, because a lot of people go down there, and they, they you know, they, they're just looking for a wife, looking for a husband. The degree, that, that'll be nice, too, um, but if I come out of here with that person, that's good. Well, the, the letter basically said, listen, while you're looking for this person, remember that until you're completely satisfied with your relationship with me and that relationship alone, you'll never be able to love somebody the way I need you to love them or receive the love that I want you to have. And I don't know if those are specifically straight from Jesus' words, but I think they're true of Jesus and true of our relationship. If we can't be satisfied with that, there's nothing else that the world has to offer that's ever going to satisfy us. You know, and here's the thing. When we try and satisfy ourselves with what the world has, it takes so much of that to even get numb that it usually leads to addictions, and addictions to anything other than Jesus are usually counterproductive and sometimes destructive. All right? So be careful. Um, be satisfied completely with Jesus. We're thirsty people. Four, we have to get our act together as God's people and cooperate in the mission. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, Messiah. Some, but some said, is the Christ or Messiah to come from Galilee? He is not, has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring? See, we already talked about this. They, they missed it. So there was division among the people over him. Point being, the church has to stop fussing and cussing over the color of the carpet or the drapes and focus on the condition of the lost world. Now, we talked a little bit ago about the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. There was a little... Here it is. Um, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions and the opportunity to give to the, to the uh, school over in Kenya. Those are all great things. This cooperative program thing that we do, they literally call it the cooperative program. So if you give a dollar to this church, about 10 cents of that goes to the cooperative program for the Southern Baptist, and that goes to support all the ministries of the Southern Baptist Convention. And specifically, the thing I love about being a Southern Baptist is that the missionaries that are connected to our association, to our convention... They don't have to go out and, and, and source their own funding. 
this offering that we're doing in December, 100% of that goes to fund international missions. There's not a, an administrative fee or anything like that. It goes straight to the mission field. That's why if you haven't given to that and you'd love to be, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, take of what God's given you and, and bless some other folks, that's a great way to give at Christmas time. Um, so I love the fact that we cooperate and we support folks like that. But the truth of it is, we got a lot of churches around here that we're connected to that are dying and struggling. That's why, that's why Dan's preaching at Chestnut Ridge right now, because they're struggling. And they lost their pastor. And that's why I'm going to December 4th to preach at North Eaton Baptist Church down towards Grafton, because their pastor resigned, and he's gone, and they're struggling. And that's why Billy's preaching at Sheffield Lake, because their pastor's gone, and they're struggling. And there's a lot of churches around here struggling. When I first came up here, I talked to the director of missions. I hadn't even accepted the church. I was up here in view of a call with the church at Chestnut. And I went to the director of missions, and I said, hey, Dan, tell me about the churches around here that are healthy. And, you know, they've got three or 400 folks, and they're growing and, and doing something really. And he said, you don't know much about ministry in Ohio, do you? And I was offended. I was like, are you telling me that it's impossible to grow a healthy church in the state of Ohio? And I still am angry at him about that because I think it's absolutely not true that it's impossible. But I got news for you. 14 years later, it's really hard. It's not easy. There's something about up here that makes it very... People are really, really real. See, in other places of the country, people get dressed up on Sunday and they go to Cracker Barrel at lunch in their dressed up clothes so people will think they went to church. They did that at the cafeteria at Baylor. You know, people would sleep in and put their suit on and go to, break, go to lunch at the cafeteria so that people think they went to church because there was a positive peer pressure that resulted in a lot of fake stuff. You don't get that up here. People don't want to go to church. They don't want to church. Now, they'll get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and go to the Muni lot and get hammered for the Browns or lots of other things, you know, any, any opportunity to stay warm, right? Anyway, we need to cooperate. And we got to be really focused on the mission of connecting people to Jesus. Last thing, and I, on the cooperation thing, let me just say this. There's a lot of churches around here that are not Baptist that I am very cooperative with. And I'd love to tell you that Dan and I and Mike and and Tom, we all agree on everything, but the truth of it is, we don't always agree on everything, but we all, all agree on the main things. And we can have conversations that say, you know what, I think this really means this, and they say, I really think it means this, and we can disagree and still cooperate. And I think that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. And uh, like I said a thousand times, I think there's a lot of Christ people who aren't Christians because they know too many Christians because Christians can't cooperate. Last thing. We can be confident that when God calls us and sends us, he will equip us and protect us. And no matter what, our faithfulness will result in victory. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Heard that before? Because his hour had not yet come. Some of, the world, or some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Have you heard that before? The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. I listened to a whole sermon this week from uh, John Piper based on that one phrase right there. No one ever spoke like this man. There's something so unique about Jesus that you're not going to find anywhere else because he is God. He was in the beginning, right? No one ever spoke. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have, anyone of the authorities, have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? 
Um, but this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. Nicodemus, this is the funniest thing to me. These, these Pharisees are like, you're talking like he's something special. Has anybody in this room, have you seen any of the Pharisees and stuff like that following him? And then like two verses later, they address Nicodemus. Do you remember John chapter 3? Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, went to Jesus at, late at night, and that was the whole you got to be born again thing. And, and Nicodemus, right then, he's like, he bought in. So Nicodemus is sitting in the room, and they're saying, do you see any of us that have followed him? And Nicodemus is like, hey, over here. <laughs> and they called him out. Nicodemus says, uh, what? I mean, even, you know, we don't, we don't prosecute somebody without first hearing what they have to say, right? And so they turn it back on Nicodemus and say, what, are you from Galilee too? Are you from Nazareth? You know, uh, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Jesus was never worried about standing up in the temple and proclaiming. He was never worried about them laying a hand on him because he knew his time had not yet come. There's a real confidence in him right there. There's a boldness in his proclamation that I think a lot of us lack when we're proclaiming who we are and who Christ is. Because maybe we're not as convinced that God has got our back. There are some people who go the other direction. There are some people that are like, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I love that out of Romans 8.31. If God is for me, who can be against me? Bring it on. And they get kind of a Christian cockiness about them. Like, you know, in fact, a guy went to J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee's the guy that did a walk through the Bible. You guys ever heard that on the radio? And he's got a whole... Uh, commentary set, really good one for just normal people like me, you know, really easy to read. Um, he's with Jesus now, but um, a guy came to J. Vernon McGee one time and said, listen, I know that I am protected, that God's got me 100%, and I know that even if, even if I walked out in the middle of the street at noon at a high traffic area, if I walked in the middle of the street, Jesus would protect me because my time has not yet come. J. Vernon McGee and his very... Uh, subtle way, said, brother, if you decide to walk out in traffic at noonday on that intersection, I can guarantee you, your time has come. You know, it's not to, not to say that we should just charge off and do stupid stuff in the name of Jesus, but we should be confident that if he's called us, he's going to equip us, and if he's going to equip us, he's going to send us, and if he's going to send us, he's going to protect us, and the only thing that we need to worry about is being faithful in that moment. Laura was on a mission trip uh, with our church in North Carolina one time in Honduras, and on the way back, she was sitting in the airport, and she ran into four missionaries. They were retired people that had been on mission in Honduras, and the International Mission Board was sending them to the Middle East. And this was post 9-11 and, and a pretty, pretty dangerous time, and my wife was really taken, like, man, what kind of faith? You're going from one place to the other. They're almost 70, I think they were 70 and 72 years old or whatever, and going to the Middle East to do ministry full-time. And uh, she was so impressed with them because they were like, listen, you know, God's, God's going to protect us. Well, a couple months later, I was uh, walking through the house, and she, came, she had this look on her face like just completely, like she was starting to tear up. And I'm like, what's wrong? She said, you remember those folks that we ran into in the airport in Honduras that were going to the Middle East? I said, yeah. She said, I just read that they were killed in a car bomb. All four of them. 
And in moments like that, you know, you're, 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 you start, you pause, you're like, how is that God, you know, he called them, he equipped them, he sent them. Wasn't he supposed to protect them from that? Good friends of ours at Chestnut were killed in a car wreck by a drunk driver. That's not God's will. Wasn't God supposed to protect them from that? One of my favorite people in the world who's with Jesus now, um, his name's Ed Miller. Have you guys ever seen the Pixar movies, uh, the, the Pixar shorts at the beginning of some of those movies? Where Remember the guy that played chess with himself to win his own teeth? Remember that guy? That's Brother Ed. I mean, like, I, I really feel like they modeled that after him. It looks exactly like him. Brother Ed was 80-something years old and still would jump on the mower behind the church, the big John Deere tractor with the pull-behind mower deck, and he'd come around the corner of my office, and there was no stucco left on the corner of my wall because he'd hit that thing every time. I'd always know when Brother Ed was mowing. Um, but dude was so amazing. He, he would deal with sickness every now and then, and I'd go and say, Brother Ed, how are you doing today? He said, I'm fantastic. Brother Ed was saved out of a pool hall. He was a he was an alcoholic and, and had been smoking cigarettes since he was about 11 years old and saved when he was 40. And the day after, the day that he got saved, he put down his cigarettes and put down the alcohol and never had another one. If you don't believe in miracles, if you've ever had alcohol or cigarettes, I understand that that is one. Brother Ed would look me in the face and he'd say, Pastor, I'm all good. I said, yeah. He said, yep, either way I win. And that was kind of our mantra at Chestnut Ridge. Either way, we win. Because Philippians 1, 19 to 21, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Reader's Digest or Bridge Version, either way, we win. If you want to live a life in his name that is characterized by eternal abundant life, that is free of anxiety, and folks, it starts by being convinced of who he is. When we're confused, we seek out wisdom from his word and from his people. We surround ourselves and we get completely satisfied with our relationship with Christ alone. We get our act together as the church and we cooperate. And we can be confident that when God calls us and sends us, he's going to equip us and protect us. And no matter what, faithfulness will result in victory. So here's what we're going to do. Bill's going to come sing. I don't think he's going to rap, but who knows. Bill's going to come and sing. We're going to open the table. And I'd like for this just to be a time where you ask yourself these questions. Am I convinced that Jesus is who he says he is? And if so, what difference is it making in my life? Are you confused about something that you need to go searching for and you've been lazy and you need to go search for it? Figure that out. And commit to him today that I'm going to go search for those answers. Are you completely satisfied, or is there something else you're trying to put your, you know, hang your hat on and, and find your, uh, your identity in?
You know, what is it that you need to do this morning? Are you confident in Jesus and your mission? When we open this table, they're going to sing right off the bat. You come get whatever, you know, spend some time first before you come to the table. If you want to, you can turn the front seats, turn your seat into an altar. But I would, I would say even if you need to get down on your knees and, and just ask God, hey, reveal this to me. Or you've revealed it to me already because when he was talking, you know, I, I figured out what I need to be working on. So I'm committing to you right now that I'm going to put you first. I'm going I'm to seek this relationship with you alone, and I'm going to stop chasing it after this way. But then come and get the elements of the communion, and you respond by saying, thank you for loving me this much. And then we'll sing together. Father, as we approach your table, we pray that you would make us right. We know that in our position with you, for those of us who have called you by name, we are made right positionally. But Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us understand where we lack in our relationship with you and where we can be more like you so that we can find more joy and peace and so that the world around us can see you in us in a way that they will uh, understand and be completely convinced of themselves of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name.